that thought right there and turn to Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5. We've come with open hearts. And I pray that you'll allow the Word of God to change you tonight. We've opened what Hebrews 4 says is the Word of God, the quick and living and powerful Word of God. And we're going to read and we're going to preach from that tonight. And I know that God wants us to change, to change us through it. And I pray you'd allow God to do that. But the key part of that song was an open heart, that we keep an open heart to allow God to do that. And I pray we will all leave here to change tonight by his word. Matthew 5, we're going to jump back into the Beatitudes again as we look at this series of a heart unto him that we will finish up, looks like Lord willing, next week. And we took a week off of it as the Lord led us last week. We're going to jump back in tonight to verse number 9. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Let's ask God to bless this. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that, Lord, we would allow it to change us tonight. Lord, I pray you would make your will very known and very clear. And, Lord, help us respond in the invitation through obedience. Lord, I pray for the lost to be saved. And, Lord, for the saved to become a better disciple by us allowing you to change our heart through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated kind of hard to believe we've, we've worked our way through here the past few weeks, and I've enjoyed studying through this, and I've learned a lot, and I've been changed by this. And as we look at Matthew 5, kind of set it back up a few more times before we finish up next week, this is Jesus speaking to his new disciples that he called in chapter 4 and verse 19, and he promised them that he would make them, I will make you. He tells them that. And then he takes them up on the mount in chapter 5 and begins to make them. And the point of this series is that so much of what he started working on them really dealt with their heart. Verse number 3, we see the essentials of discipleship. And those in poor in spirit, we looked at that as the empty heart. Verse 4, we looked at another essential, they that mourn, and we looked at the broken heart and how often in discipleship and following Christ, we must understand that mourning is part of it. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, we looked at the soft heart, a heart that is still impressionable by God, that God can mold and make, and God says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 6, we looked at the hungry heart, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Got to verse number seven. It was right before the 4th of July. Got to give an idea how long we've been there, if you recall. And verse number seven, we talked about the merciful or the open heart, a heart that makes room for man, how God made room for us with the mercy seat. We see in verse number eight, we looked at a week or so ago, the pure in heart or the right heart in order to have the power of God and the presence of God and the protection of God, that we must have a right heart and right before God. Then we get to verse number nine. And I'm going to be honest with you, verse number 9 stumped my toe a little bit. As I began to study this out, trying to figure, why did God get so specific? Why did Christ speak very specifically in verse number 9, where verse 3 through verse number 8 were very uh, general topics, very specific topic now in verse number 9 of this topic of peacemakers. Now, I began to look, and in in Scripture, you'll only find the word peacemaker mentioned one time, and it's verse number 9. So we didn't have a whole lot of precedence to go off of it, and I begin to wonder why God chose peace. Why did God say, blessed are the peacemakers? Why did Christ, as he gets his newly minted disciples prepared for the road of following Christ, why did he bring up the specific topic of peace, blessed are the peacemakers? 
As I headed to the hospital the other night, I was uh, thinking about this verse and was thinking, why did he not say, blessed are the joy givers? I mean, what a blessed job that is to go and to, to give joy to people, and to bring joy to people. I'm thankful for people who kind of have a knack or a gift about that. Uh, they just kind of bring joy to your life, just sometimes by a smile, sometimes by a note that they leave you, sometimes by a little happy that they leave you. Why didn't he say, blessed are the joy bringers? Why didn't he say, blessed are the grace givers? And I'm going to be honest with you, I just stumped my toe for a while and just kept having to ask God, God, I need to understand what was so important about peace and what is so important about a peacemaker that you took the time in this first message and this longest of messages that Christ would preach to address the peacemakers. And I studied and I prayed and boy, it took me a little while, but I think we finally got a handle on it. You can bring joy to people and you can give peace, I mean, you can give grace to people But if you'll notice verse 9, the Bible shows us that peace has to be made. Notice that. Blessed are the peacemakers. We can bring joy to people and we can give grace to people, but peace has to be made. So then I'm posed with this question. Uh, look, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, so I had, to, I had to do some more Googling, you know? I mean, that's what we do, right? We just go Google stuff we don't know about, but begin to study and read and realize that making peace is something that's not very easy. And I began to study and read through the Word of God about peace. I had one of those oh moments. You ever have those? When all of a sudden the light bulb begins to flicker and you begin to get it, begin to realize that this process of making peace is something that does not come easy. And if we're going to have peace and we're going to be peacemakers, we must understand that making peace is something very difficult to pull off. As I thought about this, it always goes back to food with me. I thought about my mom and my grandmother years ago. I remember being at the house around Christmas time and my grandmother would make divinity. I know what divinity is. It's not good for you, but man, it's good, isn't it? And that divinity, I remember going in and my grandmother would be working on there at the bar of her house and fixing it up and all of this. And I remember saying it didn't work. It didn't work. The recipe kind of fell through and something and another. We began to talk about it. And she was explaining to me that humidity is very, I mean, not humidity, divinity is very temperamental with humidity. That makes sense? Try to make it sometime. Evidently, humidity bothers that. And she said all of the ingredients have to be right and even the humidity, I believe it's got to be below 50 or 60% in order to be able to make divinity. It's very difficult to make that stuff. So if you are able to pull some off around this Christmas time, I'll be glad to taste test it for you and let you know if it's good or not. But here's what I want you to understand. Peace is something that's difficult to make. You can give joy and you can bring grace to people, but in order to have peace, peace has to be made and it takes a high level of difficulty to pull that off. And yet notice Christ is telling him in verse 9, I want my disciples to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So we see that peace is a hallmark of a disciple of Christ. Peace. Now, what is a disciple? It's a follower of Christ. Who was Christ? The Prince of Peace. And so in order for us to follow Christ, in order for us to be a disciple of Christ, we're going to have to learn to make peace. Now, here's what's sad. When peace should be a hallmark of a Christian, and of a Christian home, and of a Christian mind, and of a Christian marriage, Sadly today, peace leaves a great void in the life of so many who call themselves Christians. 
We don't have much peace in our homes. Matter of fact, we have as much peace in our homes as the world has in their homes. It's not a hallmark of us anymore, and yet peace is supposed to be a hallmark of the people of God, the followers of Christ. So tonight, I believe that we'll see in the next few minutes, and I'm going to take my time tonight because this is very important. I want to encourage you, just get comfortable. Let's open our hearts because this thing of peace is something that I'm just going to tell you the church is lacking a lot of. Our homes lack peace. Our minds lack peace. Our children lack peace. And we need to know how to make peace. So I believe tonight you can find it. I believe tonight you can learn how to make it. And you can have it if you're willing. So tonight when we look at the peacemakers, we're going to be looking at the willing heart. Tonight, the willing heart. And you can have peace and you can make peace, but you're going to have to be willing. So you're going to flip around with me a little bit tonight in Scripture if you don't mind. Turn all the way back to the Old Testament, to the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus. If you'll stick with this tonight, I believe the Holy Spirit of God will help you to come to not only know peace, but to have peace and be able to make peace. Leviticus chapter number three, way back in the Old Testament, we're going to read a little bit about peace. If you'll stick with me, I believe God will give you something good. The Bible says in verse 1, And if his oblation be a sacrifice, now watch the next few words, of peace offering. If he offer it of the herd, whether it be male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. Verse 3, and he shall offer the sacrifice of the, notice the next two words again, peace offering, peace offering. So I begin looking at this word and this term, peace offering. It's a term that's mentioned or a set of words that's mentioned in Scripture 108 times in just 43 verses. In just 43 verses of Scripture, the words peace offering appear. This peace offering, it serves a lot of different capacities. Stick with me tonight. You could offer a peace offering as thanksgiving to God, thanking him for peace and what you have from God. You could offer a peace offering unto God just in communion and worship to God. Or the most common that we understand the term peace offering was for reconciliation. Where someone was seeking peace and seeking mercy in their life and they came and they brought an offering or a sacrifice. Now this is important to understand. If we are going to learn how to make peace, it's going to cost us. Number one, notice peace comes with a cost. The two words that we see here are peace and offering. Now, peace was available. God put here in Leviticus chapter 3 the steps by which we could make an offering for peace, but he says it's going to cost you. You look through the verses, you'll see a lamb, you'll see a goat, you'll see a turtle dove that is there. (laughs) Now, here's what's interesting. The peace offering was the only offering that was not commanded. Please listen to that. The peace offering was not commanded. The offering was a willing sacrifice in your pursuit for peace. This is important to understand tonight. So often we desire peace, but we don't want it bad enough to be willing to make a sacrifice in order to attain it. 
We desire peace in our minds. We desire peace in our homes. We desire peace with our relationships with other people. And we even desire peace with Almighty God. But here's the problem. We are unwilling to make the sacrifice in order to have the peace that we are seeking in our life. This is why the words are coupled 108 times together. A peace offering. You see, God's not going to make you have peace. He did not command the peace offering that you must do this. But if you are seeking peace, you bring this peace offering. And God made a way that we could have that. So what made it motivated someone to do this? I'm reading chapter 3. And I'm going to tell you in just a few minutes, it's going to get pretty rough. When you're reading chapter 3 and realizing all that they had to do, the only thing that could motivate someone to go through all of this trouble was a hunger for peace. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you hungered for peace? I've got to have peace in my life. I've got to have peace in my mind. I've got to have peace between me and God. I've got to have peace between me and my spouse. I've got to have peace between me and my kids. And you get to a place where you're so hungry for it that you're willing to make a peace offering, a willing sacrifice. Here's the problem today why I believe we do not have peace as the people of God. Look, the Christian home is just as a mess as the world's homes today. There's not peace in the Christian home. Christians, we do not have peace within our minds. We don't have peace within our relationships. We don't have peace with with us and God. And I'll tell you why. And listen close. We would rather sacrifice peace than sacrifice what it will take to make peace. And let that sink in. We would rather sacrifice having peace in our life and peace in our marriage and peace with our children and peace with God. We would sacrifice the peace rather than sacrifice what it's going to take to have the peace. We're not willing to give. We're not willing to offer. We're not willing to give the sacrifice. Let me give you an example of that. It's probably the the best example in Scripture. Like in the Garden of Eden, man walked with God. We had fellowship with God. We communed with God. We were on the same page with God. We had peace with God. But then the Bible says that sin separated us from God. So now because of sin, there's contention between man and God. There's no longer peace anymore. But the Bible tells us in John 3, 16, we know it well. For God so loved the world that he what? What did God want? Amen. What did he want? He wanted peace with man. God says the relationship that man and I used to have, we walked in the garden and we had fellowship together and we communed together in the cool of the day. It's gone. It's been broken by sin. That's what sin does, by the way. It breaks the relationship and it robs us of our peace. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What was God doing? He was willingly, freely offering sacrifice so that there could be peace again. You keep reading in John chapter 10, you'll find the Bible says that Jesus steps up himself and he says this. He says, no man takes my life from me. I laid it down. You see, Christ was not only our sacrifice for our sin, but he paid the sacrifice that we might have peace with God again. But there is no peace without a cost. What's wonderful news tonight is that peace is available, but somebody's got to be willing to sacrifice in order to get it. Do you know I have peace with God tonight? Do you know why? Because of the sacrifice he was willing to make for me. It was a willing sacrifice where Christ willingly laid down his life that I could have peace. He paid the cost for my peace tonight. 
you're saved, he paid the cost for your peace as well. I was reading this afternoon about uh, uh, when uh, World War II was officially ended, September the 2nd, 1945, and uh, the story goes on to say that Douglas MacArthur was given the task uh, of uh, carrying out the ceremonies. And he says in, in hindsight that as he, I thought I had a picture of it here, but I don't do, I think the guys have a picture of it. In hindsight, when Douglas MacArthur stood on the deck of the United States, Missouri to accept the formal surrender of the Japanese, that as he stood there, he offered a prayer to God. And rather than look in consternation and to look on them with retribution, he says, after over 70 million deaths as a result of World War II, all that we craved was peace. We were willing to lay down their, they were willing to lay down their arms. And I was willing to lay down my boastfulness of a victory and my animosity. I was willing to lay all of that down. Why? Because we craved peace at that hour. Folks, I believe there comes a time in all of our life where you'll get to the place where you crave peace. And when you get to that place, you must be willing to make the peace offering. Now, oftentimes we find ourselves in conflict. Conflict in our hearts. We have conflicts in our homes. Conflicts between our husbands and wives and, and children and conflicts between other people. And I'll tell you why the conflict does not go away. It's because somebody's not willing to sacrifice. But Christ was. He was our sacrifice that we could have peace. So here's where we have to get tonight real quickly. We must, must reach the place where having peace is worth what it's going to cost us. We've got to get to the place where having peace is worth what it's going to cost us. I mean, you know, God had no motivation other than his love for the world to pay the price that we could have peace with him again. He thought we were worth it. Can you imagine tonight that an almighty God would look down from heaven and desire us so much that he would freely and willingly give his son and his son would lay down his life. In order that we might have peace with God again. He was willing to pay the cost. Now I want you to notice something else about this sacrifice that comes with a cost. The Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 3. The Bible says he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. So we see that this price that we pay in order to have peace. This peace offering. It comes with a cost. And that cost is we must be willing but then we see in verse 1 that this sacrifice is a sacrifice of worth. This was not the lame sheep or goat. This was the best that he had in verse 1. Without blemish before the Lord. You know, oftentimes my reflex is to withhold the good things. And to offer up the not so good things. You know, for me, I do not like a banana that has got brown spots all over. My wife says that's the way you're supposed to eat some. But uh, I like them just kind of yellow. You know, so when I'm digging through the basket there, it works out really good for me and my wife because if it's got like the brown speckles all over it and looks like it got beat up in a, in a fight, you know, I leave those for my wife. I don't want to eat that thing. Oh, man, I cannot stand opening that thing up and it's bruised up all over and it's got that slime hanging off of it. Oh, no, no, no. If I go up to get a banana, I'm leaving that one for you. I want that one that's still kind of yellow and kind of firm just a little bit. That's, that's just the way I like my bananas. So now you know a little bit more about me than you wanted to know. I'm not going to leave you the good one. I want to leave you that old nasty one, that slimy beat up banana. I, I don't want to offer you the one that I want. 
But notice the Bible says that peace is of such a value that the peace offering to God needs to be without blemish before the Lord. Now here's what's interesting tonight. I believe for a lot of us in the church, in order for us to have peace, it may cost us something we want to hold back. That lamb without spot or blemish, that goat without spot or blemish, and that turtle dove, he says, I want the best one, that one that you probably want to hold back, that's what it's going to cost you. I believe the reason many of us tonight, we don't have peace in our life. We don't have peace in our mind. We don't have peace in our homes. We don't have peace with our relationships. We don't have peace with God. It's because what it's going to take to have that peace is something that we want to hold on to. It's that thing without blemish, the Bible says, before the Lord. I want you to see something real quickly in verse 2. The Bible says, and he shall lay his hand upon the head of his offering and kill it at the door. Look at verse 8. He shall lay his hand upon the head of his offering and kill it before the tabernacle of the congregation. Look at verse 13. He shall lay his hand upon the head of it and kill it before the tabernacle of the congregation. I don't know about you, but I look for common denominators. You read a passage of Scripture and you see something mentioned three different times, and it's not necessarily something you hear a lot. He shall lay his hand upon the head of his offering. You begin to think about all that they would have to do in order to obtain peace. Now, I don't want to be gory tonight, but I want you to listen close. Here's someone who's craving peace and needing peace so bad that they're not only going to be willing to make a sacrifice, they're going to go and get the best that they have, and they're not only going to bring the best that they have and say, here, preacher, you take it. God says, I want you to take it a step further, and I want you to put your hand on it and kill it. Imagine how traumatic that would be for someone, to take something that they held dear, the best they had, the thing they would want to harbor, and I want you to take it, and I want you to take it to the door of the tabernacle. And I want you to put your hand on it. And I want you to kill it. And they sprinkled his blood on the inside. That would be a very traumatic thing to go through. But it shows us an illustration of just what Christ went through. That we could have peace. And it shows us what we, we must be willing to do in order to have peace. Simply put, verse 2, verse 8, verse 13 shows us that peace is a very hands-on practice. If you want to make peace, you're not going to be able to do it and say, God, I need peace and wait there. No, God says, you're going to have your hand in this. This is not only going to cost you something, it's going to cost you something that you're holding back. I, I wish I had time tonight, but we don't. Back in 1884, I believe it was D.L. Moody preached a spectacular sermon on laying your hand on the sacrifice. Oh my goodness, and it deals with salvation and how you realize that that sacrifice, it was transference, that it was my sin, and that was dying for my sin, that was paying for my sin. I don't have time to talk about it tonight, but I want you to understand the price for peace is high. Blessed are the peacemakers. Why? My goodness, because peace is expensive. Peace is difficult. So number one tonight, peace comes with a cost. Tonight, in order for you to have peace in mind... And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to say in the last two years, I have never, ever dealt with as many people who are having trouble getting peace of mind. The last two years. Look, I'm not picking on folks, okay? I'm just being honest with you. 
the, the, the devil goes after our mind, okay? If he can get our mind and our heart, he can get the rest of us. So he fights for our mind. In the last two years, I have never dealt with so many people who are having trouble getting peace of mind. And I'm going to tell you, if you want peace of mind tonight, or peace in your home between the husband and the wife, and in between you and God, understand that peace comes with a cost. That's why blessed are the peacemakers, because there are those that are willing to pay the cost. And the second thing I want you to see, and we're going to flip around a little bit, but you got to see this tonight. Blessed are the peacemakers. We see that it's costly, but there's two things I want to look at before we leave this evening. And I believe it's going to show us the most costly ingredients to making peace. Peace is expensive. I saw a hamburger. I wish I had a picture to show you tonight. You can buy it in Las Vegas somewhere, and it's a $5,000 hamburger. I doubt I will ever eat one, Brother Carney. I'm just being honest with you. I mean, you could buy several cows for a $5,000 hamburger. It's talking about how very few people eat that hamburger. I forget what it's called. I should have looked it up. It was a $5,000 hamburger. It's got a lot of expensive ingredients in it. Most people will never taste one of those burgers. It's got black truffles on it and Wagyu beef or something like that and gold flake. Why would you want gold on a hamburger? I don't know, but they're putting it there in Las Vegas, not surprisingly. Most people will never taste that burger because the ingredients are so expensive. I think tonight that's why many of us never taste peace because it's expensive. It will cost us a willing sacrifice, a worth sacrifice, but... One of the most important, turn with me to Proverbs 13. I want you to see this for yourself tonight. I could just put it up on the screen. I want you to see it from the word of God tonight. Proverbs 13, turn there with me real quick. I want you to know I've been praying about this message a lot and asking the Holy Spirit to preach beyond what I can say because I believe tonight the church is desperate for peace. Our homes are desperate for peace. Proverbs 13, look down if you will to verse number 10. The Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. Do you know what contention is? It's a lack of peace. You know, you ever had contention between you and your wife? Yes, I'll be honest. (laughs) Cowards. I've had contention with my wife. You know what the Bible talks about? Dwelling on the housetop, contentious woman. Okay, that's rough. That's a lack of peace. All right? The Bible says only by pride cometh contention. Contention is a lack of peace. I see so many people today. We have contention in our hearts, contention in our homes, contention in our churches, contention between us and God, a lack of peace. Now, where does that come from? I'm glad you asked. The Bible says only by pride cometh contention. So let's read it this way. Only by pride cometh a lack of peace. Is that what he's saying? I think that's what he's saying. Tonight, the reason peace is so difficult to make, number two, is peace will cost you your pride. Peace will cost you your pride. Let me ask you a question. How do you start with contention and make peace out of contention? Well, the answer is simple in verse number 10. You take the pride out. You take the pride out, you no longer have contention. Because the Bible says, notice the word only. Only by pride. That means that pride is the key ingredient to contention. If you have contention between you and another person, there's the presence of pride. Because only by pride cometh contention. If there's contention between you and God, 
There's some pride in there somewhere. And can I give you a hint? It's not God's. There's, look, there's contention between you and your wife. Look, verse 10 is telling us contention is evidence of pride. And if you want to take contention and turn it into peace, you've got to pull the pride out. You take the pride out, contention's gone. Why? Because only by pride cometh contention. I was talking to my dad today, and we were talking about the home. And my heart breaks for not only the American home, but my heart breaks for the Christian home. Because so many of our homes, there's contention. I mean, just husband and wife, back and forth. Listen, the Christian home is supposed to represent the relationship between Christ and his church. And you see so much contention and backbiting and bad attitudes and, oh, it's just horrible. Why? Somewhere pride got in. Because only by pride cometh contention. Now, what does the Bible tell us in Ephesians chapter 5? Listen close. Husbands, we're going to start with you guys first. Us guys first, okay? Husbands, love your wives. Now you say, well, I love my wife. It doesn't stop there. As Christ loved the church. And gave. Gave. What does pride say? Pride says me. The Bible says I'm supposed to love my wife and I'm supposed to give myself for her. The Bible says wives, and look, we had to be fair tonight. This is 2019, so we have to be equal men and women. So let's get a verse for women. Ephesians 5, 22, the Bible says wives, submit. I hope we have a bulletproof pulpit, Brother John. We're going to need it up here. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. So the husband gives himself away. And the wife gives herself away. Wonderful, peaceful home. But when does contention come into our marriages? It's when I want to keep for me. And you keep for you. And now there's contention. Why? Because there's pride. Can I tell you tonight that based on the word of God, if you've got contention in your home, there's pride somewhere. And you'll see your home march closer and closer to peace. And a home that represents the relationship between Christ and his church. If you just got rid of the pride. Quit seeking my own and what I want. And I'm going to seek yours. And you seek what's good for me. And hey, there's peace. Why? Because the contention is gone. I believe tonight pride. My dad, I'll tell you, he used to poke me in the chest. I know that's probably politically correct today, incorrect today. But he used to poke me and say, you know what your problem is? P-R-I-D-E. Like, no, it's not. See? Pride. I used to be eat up with it. Now I've still got it, and it's, it's in and out of remission, but I used to be eat up with it. And man, I love to argue. You know what the root of the word contention is? It's to contend. I mean, our marriages, this is what they look like. Instead of peace, this is what they look like. Why? Pride. Pride, I want what I want. People come in, look, you need to talk to my wife. She's not giving me what I want. Don't work that way. That's pride, and that's what's breeding contention. It's poisoning our homes, it's poisoning our hearts. I believe it's poisoning our happiness. We notice tonight that peace, P 
Peace comes when pride goes. I did a little research this week on poison. I was trying to look up some bad poisons. To equate that pride is just a bad of a poison. And the one that I came up with was in the top 10 toxic poisons in the world today, and it's mercury. Mercury. We know what mercury is. There's a picture of it up there on the screen. Mercury, the, the silver stuff that is in our thermometers that are there, and it's getting in our oceans, and uh, it's getting in, in the fish. When you eat fish, you're getting a lot of mercury there, and it's in our water. Some of our medications, <coughs> excuse me, mercury is showing up everywhere, and they're trying to figure out how to study mercury that it'll break down in the environment and not poison the water. And I found something really, really, really neat I want to share with you tonight. As they studied mercury, they found, and listen close, I'm not a science nerd, okay, but this was really neat to me. Mercury has 80 protons. Remember that tonight, okay? There will be a test after the service. 80 protons. Don't forget that. Tomorrow you can tell somebody at the grocery store, did you know mercury has 80 protons? It'll impress the fire out of them. And as they're studying mercury, they found this out. If you take one proton away from mercury, do you know what you have? One insignificant, teeny tiny, microscopic proton. proton. Take one away. Do you know what you end up with? Pure gold. Pure gold. Now look, do not go home tonight and break your thermometer and sit there with some tweezers. <laughs> They're smaller than that, okay? You're not going to be in a... It doesn't work that way. One insignificant proton. Take it away from the poison, and it becomes something priceless. Take that one proton away. Pull that one thing out of there. And all of a sudden, you've gone from a poison that will kill you to something that is priceless by taking away one proton. By taking away one small ingredient. Can I tell you tonight, most of our homes look like mercury. And we need to take the pride out. Amen. And if we could take the pride out of our homes and our minds in between us and God, get rid of the pride, all of a sudden what was poisonous becomes priceless. Amen. And your home could glorify God. And you could glorify God. And your mind could glorify God. But the problem is we're not willing to get rid of our pride. Amen. And that's what's poisoning us. Amen. We see an example of Christ. I'm going to hurry no, I'm, I'm going to take all the time we need, okay? But just, uh, I say that, make you feel better. Did it work? I hope so. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read something for you real quick. Philippians chapter 2. I want you to see somebody making peace. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 7, listen what Jesus did to make peace. The Bible says, but made himself of no reputation. So here's Jesus, deserving of all glory and honor and all exaltation. He's worthy of that. The Bible says, in order to make peace for me and to have peace with me, he made himself of no reputation. He put himself aside. He put his glory down. Watch the Bible says in verse 7, and took upon him the form of a servant. It was made in the likeness of men. Why did Christ leave his throne to come down here and to set aside his glory and to become a servant? He was making peace. Do you know what humility is? It's the exact opposite of pride. 
Christ humbled himself. That means no pride. And now we have peace with him. And you look up on the cross and you see all that Christ was going through. Can I tell you what he was doing? He was making peace. And there's no room for pride in peace. The Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. Tonight I want to beg you, if you have contention in your mind, contention between you and someone, contention between you and your spouse, contention between you and God, I want you to know contention is always a big, bright, red, waving flag that there's pride somewhere in there. You take out the, pri- the, the, the pride, you'll go from something poisonous to something priceless tonight. But peace will cost you your pride. And the last thing I want you to see tonight is pro- possibly the most important. Colossians chapter 1, turn there. I know you flipped around a lot tonight, but I wanted you to see this. Colossians chapter 1. <coughs> go down to verse number 20 if you don't mind. Folks, I'm very burdened about this tonight. Peace is supposed to be the hallmark of the people of God. Peace. We're supposed to be followers of the Prince of Peace, and yet we do not see much peace in our life, in our mind, in our homes, in our relationship with God. If you look down to Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 20. I love how this works together. It's almost like the same person wrote the book. The Bible says, And having made peace, Through the blood of his cross. So notice what Christ did on the cross. The Bible says when you see what Christ went through, the Garden of Gethsemane and the scourgings and the cross and the ridicule, people ask, what was he doing up there? I'll tell you what he was doing. He was making peace. That's what he was doing. Peace is difficult to make. But it's important to see how he made peace. And having made peace, watch closely. Through the blood of his cross. Through the blood of his cross. And we go back and we know what the Bible says that he went through for that blood to be spilt. Oh, the grief, the horror. There's not a horror movie in the world today that could touch the horror that Christ went through physically and spiritually to make peace. You could not make a movie about it. To depict it good enough. And yet Christ was willing to go through all of that pain. In order for us to have peace. So number one watch closely. Peace comes with a cost. It's a peace offering. A willing worthy sacrifice. Something you hold dear. You're willing to let go in order to have peace. But number two peace will cost you your pride. You'll not have peace. You'll be left only with contention if you hold on to your pride. But number three, and I believe we, I got this wrong in our notes tonight, but uh, if you're taking notes, I'll give it to you correctly. Number three, peace may cost you your pain. Peace may cost you your pain. Now, originally I had those words, peace may cost you pain. I just kept studying it out and you just, the Lord's like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, 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 go back, go back, go back. I begin to realize what he was saying here. The Bible details the words right there in verse 20, the blood of his cross. We go back to Isaiah 53. We're not going to turn there, so just sit, sit tight. Isaiah 53, verse 5. Listen close as the Bible describes his cross. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Then listen close. The chastisement of our peace 
the chastisement of our peace. So we see the words wounded, bruised, chastised, and the Bible goes on in Isaiah 53 to say, by his stripes we're healed. We see that in order for Christ to secure the peace for us, in order for him to secure the peace for us, he had to look past the pain. I believe tonight, with all of my heart, that so many of us have been hurt, we have been bruised, we have been chastised, and our pain is our focus. And the reason we don't have peace is because we can't look past the pain to see the peace. And I believe the reason that Christ was able to secure the peace for you and I, the peace between us and God, is because he looked past the pain and he found the peace. I want you to know tonight, there's not a, there is not a week goes by. My cell phone doesn't ring. The office phone doesn't ring. I get a text. I get a message through Facebook of someone experiencing extraordinary grief and pain. I won't take the time to go into detail, but I've talked to wives in the past couple of weeks who were going through things that my mind cannot even wrap around. I've talked to husbands who are going through pain. I've talked to children who are going through pain and grief and know how their life is just turned upside down and they're craving peace. Just want some peace in my life. We get back to the place where I could go through a day and have joy and have peace in my life. But the problem is they can't right now see beyond the pain. I want you to hear me out tonight. In order to find peace, you've got to look past the pain. Because that pain at the moment will blind you of the peace that is to come later. Now, here's what I love. When these phone calls come in, these people are going through pain that I do not understand. And I'm not going to pretend to understand. There's people going through things that I can't even figure how they happened. But they're happening. Can I tell you something that blesses my heart as I speak with them on the phone is they are going through a pain that I don't understand. But based on the word of God, I can offer them a peace that passes their understanding. Aren't you glad tonight that the peace that Christ secured for us, it'll pass our understanding. You go through an earth-shattering trial, an earth-shattering grief, and a pain, and abuse, and all of these things. But God still wants you to have peace. He worked hard to secure that peace. That you can have peace of mind, peace in your life, peace between you and God. That's the hallmark of a disciple of Christ. The problem is tonight, in order for us to find that peace, it's on the other side of our pain. We've got to see past that. I want to give you something real quick, and we're going to be done. Hebrews 12 tells us something quite interesting. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, why does it say looking unto Jesus? Because he's someone who saw past the pain to find the peace. The Bible says that he endured the cross. Sometimes you're going to have to endure pain. The Bible says he despised the shame. But here's the good part. He sat down on the right hand of God. Do you know what I think about when I think about setting down? Peace. He went through the pain in order for us to find the peace. John 14, 27, he says this, peace I leave with you. 
Aren't you glad when he left? Before he left, he left us something he knew we were going to need. He says, peace, I leave with you. And oh, my soul, did he work hard to make it. I'll come home from work every once in a while, and man, I'll smell something in the house. What is that? And I don't know, it's one of my favorite recipes. It takes hours to make. It's like a beef stroganoff stuff that my wife makes. And, and I walk in there, and I smell that. I know, oh, she's been working for hours. And I look forward to that meal because I know how hard she worked on it to get it there. And I sit down and I enjoy it so much. It's good. I eat the leftovers. I bring them to work. I eat the leftovers here. That's something I don't share with people around the office either. It's good. And man, it's so good because she worked so hard to put all of that together. Now, as good as that is, I want you to understand you'll never find something like the peace of God. I've known people who've gone through almost insurmountable trials Abuse, grief, chastisement, and yet they have something in their life that passes all understanding. It's the peace of God. If Christ works so hard that we can only have peace with the Father, but I have peace of mind and peace of heart, can I tell you tonight, I'm not going to leave it on the table. I want that peace. The peace is costly. Tonight, do you crave peace more than what it's going to cost you. But wait a minute. You don't understand. I'm hold, this is what I hold dear. This is, this is mine. No, he says, I want you to give that, that offering of without slaughter blemish, that thing you're holding tight. That's what God's requiring of peace. Understand tonight, peace will cost you your pride. I believe we'd have a revival break out if some husbands and wives chunk their pride out the window and say, for the glory of God, we're going to have a peaceful home. I want to give myself back to you, and you're going to give yourself to me, and we're going to have a home of peace that represents the relationship between Christ and his church. But maybe tonight the reason you don't have peace and you can't make peace is because right now all you see is the pain. I want you to understand in order to find the peace that Christ wants you to have tonight, you may have to give it up. Say, God, I'm going to give you my pain tonight. I want to give it to you because I want the peace that's on the other side of it. I want to be able to sit down after all that I've endured. And folks tonight, listen to me. Blessed are the peacemakers. Why did he mention peace? Because peace is so hard to make. By the grace of God tonight, we have someone we can follow. And we can be those disciples that represent a prince of peace. Our heads are bowed tonight. And